Oh, hi, I'm Josh Lakash, and this is Wrong Opinion with uh, Nick Fuentes as my guest today. And uh, right after that, I recorded another one. So I recorded two episodes today. The other one was with Jacob Wool. The interesting thing is that it's a good double feature, and you'll see why. I don't need to explain. And to gain access to the full interview in all of the podcasts, go to patreon.com forward slash wrongop. The rules are the first 10, 15 minutes of this are free, and then the rest, you got to you gotta pay for it. And honestly, it's worth it because uh, these two guys, super interesting, completely different, but not really, not really. You'll see. You'll see what I'm talking about. And uh, I just want to get right to it. So like I said, go to patreon.com forward slash P to get access to this whole thing. And without further French word, here is Nick Fuentes. I see your your uh, bio on on Wikipedia. Would you say that that's fair? <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, I was actually surprised because, you know, I had a Wikipedia page a long time ago and it eventually got taken down and then it, it got brought back after the Groyper Wars. And this iteration of it is is it's about as fair as you can expect. You know, it says I'm uh, I identify as a paleoconservative. Instead of saying I am a racist or whatever, it simply says other people say he's uh, I think he's anti-Semitic yeah, or whatever. It says, so. it says, and is said to hold white nationalist and anti-Semitic views. Right. Well, I mean, um, which is uh, technically I mean, I don't, but it is said it's not true, it's but it is said by the media. But why why isn't it true? So so just so you know, like uh, like if, if people are just hearing you for the first time on this podcast, because I have some older older listeners, uh, what would your defense be? Obviously fake news that, you know, we, we know about that. And and then another thing, what is a paleoconservative for those that don't know? So, uh, paleoconservative is this tradition of post-war American conservatism, which is basically a more classical idea of conservatism, which is to say that it's a lot more concerned with the family, social conservatism, uh, and things like that, as opposed to modern conservatism, which is concerned with the free market and small government and uh, things like that. Israel <laughs> being being right. another example. So so that's paleoconservatism. And as for the uh, defense, I guess you could say on on some of those accusations. Well, I would just simply challenge anybody to find anything I've said, which is anti-Semitic or white nationalist. We know how the media is that if you don't talk in a certain way about certain issues, then you get called those names. You know, Donald Trump is called the white nationalist. I think even like Stephen Crowder, people like that are called that. Um, And and same with anti-Semitic. If you don't toe the line on Israel, if you speak a certain way about uh, Judaism, well, then it's hate. It's anti-Semitism. But I I don't think that uh, if you look at my record, anything I've said, there's any evidence of that. Right. I mean, I, I and I, I totally I get your criticism of Israel and it's mainly that you don't think we should we should give them foreign aid. Right. And right. That they've they have spied on us. But I would say that we shouldn't give foreign aid to anyone ever. I think we should abolish foreign aid, period, uh, whether an ally or, or an enemy. And we give to our enemies, too, which is really weird. And then uh, and, and every country spies on every country like that's kind of what governments do. Would you? Well, the thing about the Israel spying, though, to me, is that 
It's not simply that they spy, because I will agree that uh, virtually every every government has tabs on every other government, you know, to some degree. But with the Israeli spying, it is, according to various sources in our intelligence community, one of the most aggressive spying operations on our soil, even compared to Russia, compared to China. It ranks at the top of the list in terms of the most aggressive and and really almost the most hostile. And that might be something, I don't know, which people might not have a problem with, but and you add to that how much support we give Israel. And to me, it's like the argument is, well, they're our closest ally. Okay, well, if they're our ally, then I think it should be a two-way street. If we're giving them foreign aid, or even if we're not giving them foreign aid, even if it's just we're giving them diplomatic support in the UN, and you know we are backing their capital, Jerusalem, and backing them in the peace process, then at the very least, you would expect that they wouldn't be conducting one of the most aggressive spying operations comparable to our our worst enemies. So I would say that uh, to a certain level, we can accept that, but not at the level we're seeing it. I, th- I think it's what's possible. A recent, what's a recent example? So recently, for example, there were these uh, spying devices discovered around, I think this was last year or maybe a year and a half ago. There were these uh, small spying devices that were found all over Washington, D.C., and particularly around the White House. And uh, Israel was blamed. They were suspected as the culprit, although it was totally swept under the rug. And to me, that was a, 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 an egregious example because this administration, it, and they will not lie about this, they are the most pro-Israel administration in history. And even right. in spite of everything that we've done, they're still spying on this president. And that's just one recent example, but you could go back you know, 50, 60 years, the kind of counterintelligence they've been doing. Um, not just taking secrets, but also injecting false information. It's terrible. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to do this whole podcast about Israel or anything like that. I kind of want to just talk about everything. Um, and the thing I've been kind of concerned about right now is I have no fucking clue what's going on. What? Why is this happening? Why are we shutting down everything? What? Like, you know... Some people are, are, are saying, and, and one of my beliefs is that, that this is a way to bring back manufacturing from China, mm. and, uh, and we kind of have to bite the bullet a little bit, uh, but then, and, and, and focus on closing the borders, and more people are realizing that borders are important. But um, on the flip side, uh, people are, are kind of, uh, they're okay with the government shutting down businesses. And they're complacent and, and, uh, and they're distracted by Netflix and everything. So, so I think we're, sp- we're seeing a total split down the middle. People are comfortable with this and they're okay with it. And they're okay with the economy going to shit. And uh, then, you know, some people like me are like, well, maybe it's because there's a bigger plan. We don't really know it. Maybe the nationalists are fighting the globalists. And this is the, this is the war. We're seeing it right in front of our eyes. What do you think? Yeah, I happening? think there's... I think there's definitely some truth to that because, you know, when you look at the lockdown, initially they said that we were going to have a lockdown because we needed to flatten the curve. That was the initial argument. It's very important to establish that because they said that the reason that we're shutting down businesses and the reason we're issuing stay-at-home orders is not to wait out the virus. It's not to wait until the virus subsides. It's not to wait until the virus is cured or we, we find some way to have immunity. 
It was so that we would not overwhelm the healthcare system with a giant surge of new cases. So they said, everybody stay at home. If people stay at home, transmission will be low. If transmission is low, we can treat this giant, this first wave of the virus without making it such that people can't get healthcare if they need it because it's just the system is so overwhelmed. And if that's the argument, then you could shut down for a month or two months and you could see how that's progressing. You know, how are hospitals handling this? How are they handling this overflow of new coronavirus patients? Because, you know, novel coronavirus, how are they handling this new influx of sick people? And what we found is that not a single hospital, not one in the whole country was overwhelmed. I mean, you had in New York City, there were some hospitals where it got it got pretty close and it was very stressful, but there was not a single patient in the United States with coronavirus who went without a ventilator who needed one, who went without treatment who needed it. And actually, we found that across the country, outside of New York City, hospitals that canceled their elective procedures and you know cleared out their hospitals so they had more space for coronavirus, they're now starting to go bankrupt because this giant surge never showed up. And now that now that it's been proven that obviously the curve has has more than been flattened, we never even maybe needed to shut down in the first place. Now they're telling us, well, you need to stay home until we develop a vaccine. Now you need to stay home until we develop a therapy for coronavirus. And then at the same time that they're saying that, they're saying the coronavirus will never be cured. It's something we'll have to live with like HIV or measles. So it's it's pretty clear to see. This is like the, the frog that gets put in the water and it's slowly boiled. We're going to be in quarantine for two weeks, now another two weeks, now three months, now six months. The coronavirus may never leave, but you know, who knows? So I think there's definitely an agenda. I think you're onto something there. What, what do you think the agenda is? I think it would be uh, more government control and, and not not just any kind of government control, but you know, you got to think about public health. And this is something that is maybe the scariest pretext for like an expansion of government jurisdiction because it's global in nature. You know, if you're at war with another country, the government may demand more power, but it's one country against another country. It's it's America versus, you know, what Iraq or China, whatever. But when it's public health, it's a global struggle. So the state in America is going to gather more power. They're going to work with Silicon Valley. You know, one of the things they're doing is contact tracing by installing in your operating system a technology that uses Bluetooth to track you and everybody you come into contact with. That's so they can establish, you know, who's spreading coronavirus. They're going to give that information to the government. And then who do you think all the different states of the world answer to? You know, the American government, the British government, the you know, Russian government, Chinese government, all that information and the guidance comes from the World Health Organization. So to me, that's that's like and I'm not one of these people that's saying, you know, uh oh, end times, you know, sound the alarms, Bill Gates, New World Order. I'm not one of these people that's going total schizo about it yet. But it is a little alarming that the nature of this crisis the changing goalposts on the shutdown, it does seem to all go upwards and, you know, eventually end up in the World Health Organization or the UN or some supranational institution. So that's my concern. Oh, no, that's it. That's that's all you get. That's all the free free podcast you get. Again, patreon.com forward slash wrong OP to get the rest. But for now, that's it. Bye.